Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Ricky Herbert from Sydney, Australia, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your weekly tennis podcast introduced beautifully there by Ricky Herbert in Sydney, Australia. Ricky Herbert sounds like a sort of children's TV presenter name or a sort of, you know, children's entertainer type name. Uh, anyway, Ricky, hope you're not offended by that. Thanks very much for introducing the show. David's here. Hello, David. Hello. Yeah, thanks very much, Ricky. I, I like the idea of having a children's entertainer uh, introducing the podcast. That's absolutely fine by me. Thank you, David, for, for saving me there. Matt, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. If Ricky were French, he would uh, he would have a tennis player name because he would be Ricky Air Bear. Oh, yes. Oh. Yes. But he's not. Where is Pierre Rougerbert? Injured, I think. Goodness me, he's not been around mm. for... I'd forgotten about him. Mm. Mm. Is, is Pierre Rougerbert not playing and Nicolas Mau is? That is, is correct. Is Mau retired? Yeah, Mau is Is, is Mau retired? No, he's playing Will he doubles. Ever retire? He's playing doubles. He got to the final this week in... Right. Yes, um, okay. Somewhere. Marseille, I think. Somewhere and he's French. also been quite outspoken about certain, certain things that I haven't really been following, but I've been aware of of it creating a bit of a commotion. Well, he was very. He was one of the France. first tennis players to speak out about Peng Shui, wasn't he? Nicolas mm. Mo, yes, to put something true. out on his social media. Um, don't know what he's been talking about more recently. Um, obviously, not nearly as up to date on the big Nicolas Mo <laughs> Pierre Rugebert news. <laughs> Uh, as I ought to be. But anyway, we, we've led with the big headlines. <laughs> Sorry for taking as, us in that always. direction. <laughs> and, 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 that, and now I've basically advertised the fact that the three of us haven't been following one of the stories of the tennis world here on the tennis podcast. So, you know, you, I've, 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 give, I've given with my letting you off the hook with the children's entertainer line, Catherine, and now mm. I've just completely stumped us with the old tennis stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's going brilliantly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, one week today, folks, we will all be on planes to Indian Wells. Well, to LA, where we will then pick up the keys 
to our what kind of vehicle, David? What uh, what are our wheels? All I know Something big is it because says, packing yes. is uh, there's a lot of luggage happening for me. It's, it's um, it says full size is all <laughs> I know. So great, I don't know full size what exactly. We'll we'll soon find out, but. Uh, Pictures will be forthcoming when we when we get there, Pictures and we, we can fit be, two it, of our. It's going to be hashtag content in. heaven, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm excited. Seven days to go. We're going to to Indian Wells, courtesy of On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. They're sending us to Indian Wells. They're sending us to the bracket sunshine, although. Did check out a weather forecast this week, folks. And the one thing that on location can't sort out for your trip is the blooming weather. Four degrees of sleet, folks, is 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 not not what I came for. Getting what that on out earth? of the way last week, what Catherine. On earth. <laughs> it's been really bad, hasn't it? In Really, in really California. bad. There's the, uh, it, it made the news in the UK mm. today that it's snowing in LA. Well, that can really? bog off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> do everything book yourself. else they can sort out. Everything else they can sort out. Do book yourself uh, a trip to a tennis tournament with Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours. They're offering five percent discount on all trips throughout 2023 for tennis podcast friends of the tennis podcast so become a friend the link to do so is in our show notes support the pod and get yourself a discount code to go somewhere that uh, is advertised as sunny uh, but may <laughs> may fail probably, to deliver on that probably promise. be sunny <laughs> will almost certainly be sunny unless you're grossly unlucky uh, you've got seven <laughs> days to turn it around, Indian Wells weather forecast. I'm relying on you to do just that. Now, uh, let's talk about the tennis that we've just seen in the week gone by, including some really fascinating tournaments, actually. We're going to start in Dubai with the WTA 1000 event. Actually, we're going to start We're going to start in Dubai and Doha because I'd like to kick off with a rant, please, about the fact that these two finals, both of them fascinating both of them appointment viewing particularly for for people that you know record podcasts about tennis both of them scheduled at the exact same time Igor Svantec against Barbora Krejcikova in Dubai and Daniel Medvedev against Andy Murray in Doha two finals scheduled at exactly the same time a uh, footnote to this is that that time was bang smack in the middle of a children's birthday party that i had committed to attend uh, so i was able to watch precisely neither live i've obviously caught up with them uh, afterwards but even if you didn't have a one-year-old's birthday party to attend the entire global audience of tennis was unable to watch both those finals live it's appalling it's appalling. It's absolute crap. Yep. Anything to add, anyone? <laughs> it's, it's so bad and it happens so often. These matches happened literally simultaneously. They started at the same time and finished at pretty much the same time. I was focusing on Krejcikova and Sviantec and I was you know, pretty happy with that decision. But what it did mean is that I really did struggle to keep up with what was happening in, in Mary versus Medvedev over in Doha. And I just find it 
a classic case of tennis shooting itself in the foot. This was a this was a sort of blockbuster lineup that tennis fans everywhere would have wanted to watch both of those matches and they couldn't and I just I'm at a bit of a loss for words really at why tennis keeps keeps doing this to itself it, it, you know so much for tennis united this would be a way of actually making tennis meaningfully united so that you can watch ATP finals and WTA finals that you want to watch I mean it just makes sense doesn't it it it, sh- it should be a a super sunday situation like with the the football mm. that we have here in the UK, where it's scheduled so that if you're a football fan, you can sit down at midday or whatever, and that's your Sunday taken care of. You know, if you if you want to spend spend your day watching sport, then you'll just be catered for. Now, I know that you've got issues like uh, in a lot of territories, a lot of countries, you've got different rights holders for the men's and the women's in uh, in tennis and you've got the fact that you don't know exactly how long a tennis match is going to be so it's impossible to schedule them so they're guaranteed to be back to back okay all of those things are true uh and make it slightly more complicated than, than with football but they are you they are workable you can work within those parameters to create something decent I think something, you know, that looks a little bit like a Super Sunday type situation. What we have here is the other end of the spectrum. It's almost like a a troll to tennis fans. That's what it that's what it feels like. We're going to make it physically impossible for you to watch the two matches of the day. It's ridiculous. And we live in it we live in an age now where it's pretty much impossible to to keep yourself from from results and and live scores. Um, and I did suggest it to Catherine, and she said, "I'm pathologically, I'm pathologically incapable of it." Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that I'd be standing in the corner of that one-year-old's birthday party checking live scores because I didn't want to have to not check the tennis podcast WhatsApp group, which would have, you know, information about it. I didn't want to have to not see my family WhatsApp group, which would inevitably have chat about those two matches. It's really hard these days to 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 not be aware of what's going on live, I think. So so sort of relying on any kind of replay type argument to, to defend the scheduling, I think, is is pretty flimsy in this day and yeah, age. Yeah, uh, no, no, no question. Um, I, I, a few things. I think the argument that uh, one or two people, dissenting voices who complained about me always complaining, uh, made about this is, is that... Uh, Tournaments are individual entities who will schedule their own final in a time zone and at a time of day that suits them and their local market, which I do understand. I would answer, well, okay, all they need to do is move one hour forward for one of them and one hour back for the other one. That's not much of a difference, and you've created a clear two-hour window to get both of those matches in. Um, Secondly, I think where we are falling down in our assessment of this is we're we're saying why does tennis keep doing this to itself as if tennis is this individual entity where everybody works together it is not that it is a fragmented sport full of not even competing interests just disinterested interests if you like I, I actually have, have asked around a little bit in the last 24 hours to try to get it. I've been trying to find out why this happens. And I've, I've, I have sent an email to both tours 
I've yet to have a response. I did only send it last night, but I, I want to know whether there's any desire for this to be avoided, generally speaking. Is it not a good idea for the ATP and the WTA to avoid a clash with their finals so that they both can be viewed back-to-back and both and not have to compete for the same audience? So I want an answer to that. Um, the answer may well be, and I've worked in a, a tournament for 25 years, I know that the, the the tournament itself wants to schedule itself when it feels is the best, right, for its own interests and for its own broadcaster. But I think that the tours should have a rule about it. I think the tours should demand, yes, you can schedule exactly when you want, as long as you're not scheduling up against the other one that's on at the, the same on the same day. And therefore, we're going to have to get together. We're going to have to work this out so that there is a clear uh, pecking order or a clear schedule. And maybe you get your choice one year and they get their choice the next year. I don't know. But, the, but something needs to be done in order so that that can happen. But... Asking around people within the sport, one one suggestion that was made to me this morning is that it's not a case of the two tournaments or or the two tours uh, not thinking this is important per se, i.e. dismissing that idea. It might even be that they just simply don't think about it. It's just not even on the agenda. And therefore, the tournaments just schedule it when they feel like it and nobody thinks about that until it sort of happens now i really hope that's not the case and and the tours are very welcome to reply to my email and tell me no no we do want that the same as you do but there's more to it than that and those things are a b and c and once i'm told those things i'll happily come here on the tennis podcast and tell you what they are i know that tournaments do have their own concerns and priorities and they may not be the same as us the international audience who are trying to watch all of these matches all the way around the world and I do get that but you cannot tell me that there is not a solution to this and that that solution is not important because it is yeah and it it, whatever the justification it might be in the best interest of the tournaments but it's certainly not in the best interest of if ten- that's such a, a narrow way of looking at it, isn't it? Because surely the good of tennis is ultimately uh, the good of the tournament. Anyway, shall we talk about the tennis <laughs> that we yes. really did our very best to be able to watch? Uh, let's start in Dubai with Barbora Krejcikova's incredible run to her first ever WTA 1000 title. She beat Igor Fiontek in the finals, 6-4, 6-2, she beat all of the world's top three. She had also beaten Arena Sabalenka and Jessica Pagula, saved four match points earlier in the tournament against Daria Kazakina. It was an incredible week for Barbora Krejcikova, who's had a, a pretty tough time over the last 18 months, hasn't she? I know this form has been coming for a while. There was the, the win in Ostrava. Last year, Estrava, uh, where she also beat Iga Svantec in the final. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. This this form hasn't hasn't come out of nowhere. She's had a, a good run of fitness for a little while now. But before that, it, it, since winning that French Open title, it's been, it's been really, really tough for her. I remember her having to, to, to pull out of the doubles at, at the French Open last year, losing in the first round of her her title defence. I think, you know, it turned out she was suffering from COVID. That's what forced her to, to pull out of the doubles. I just, 
I really felt for her at that time. And I was starting to think, oh, God, is she is she a cursed player? Can a Grand Slam champion be a cursed player? This is this is proof that, OK, this wasn't a Grand Slam, but the way she won this title, these two wins now over peak Iga Svantec, they are proof Enough for me, anyway, that her winning that French Open was was no flash in the pan. She is a quality, quality tennis player that belongs at the top. Mm, yeah, I I completely agree. I think the word that so often comes to mind for me with Krejcikova is deceptive. And I think that applies to her actual game. Like, I think the way she plays is quite deceptive. You know, the way she sort of holds her ground strokes to the last minute and you don't really know which way she's she's going to play and also just how we think about her because yes she is a grand slam champion and a multiple grand slam champion in doubles as well which i also think serves her really well in in these big matches but she has had that um you know those struggles that you mentioned since the slam win and it's it's always quite difficult to work out just how good she actually is I think for me anyway and I think this result against Fiontech and that that one in Ostrava last year really confirms that at her best she is right up there among the top players in the world and honestly this win to me feels like it shakes up the WTA tour a little bit because Iga Svantec was beating everyone easily, like barely dropping games against some of the best players in the world. And I was beginning to think, well, Iga Svantec, you know, doesn't seem to really have a rival when when she's playing well. She is she's head and shoulders above the rest of the field. That was how it was sort of starting to feel with her form this year and taking into account everything she did last year as well. And yet now in Barbora Krejcikova, she's got someone who she is not going to want to see in her path ever, I think. Because what struck me most about this match was how completely unfazed Krejcikova was about Sviontek. You know, I think some players step onto court against Sviontek and they're kind of already a bit beaten because of Sviontek's aura in a way. And honestly... This one from the start felt like the other way around. It felt like Sviontek was already a little bit nervous about playing Krejcikova because she knows that Krejcikova's game can can cause her problems. And I don't think I've ever seen Sviontek look more flustered and unsettled in a big match. You know, quite early on, she went down a break. Uh, she was sort of arguing with the umpire about a time violation that she got. She sort of kicked a ball away at one point after missing a serve. There were just lots of signs that she was frustrated. And I think Krejcikova caused a lot of that with her game and her demeanor. And she was she was awesome in this match. And I yeah, I think she I think she caused Sviontek to to sort of have a bad day in a way that no one else recently has has really been been capable of doing in in these last couple of weeks um i think from a from a Sviontek perspective it's quite interesting it does it does raise this sort of slightly odd question of has she been winning too easily in a way you know like when you look at her results this year in the losses she's had there hasn't been a lot of resistance. You know, she got blown away by Pagula in United Cup. She lost pretty easily to Rabatkin at the Australian Open. She lost pretty easily here. 
And it does seem at the moment like she's either winning really easily or losing quite easily. She's not toughing out a lot of wins. And I just wonder whether whether that's a factor in, in this sort of match. But that's to take nothing away from Craig Shikova, who, yeah, I thought was absolutely outstanding in this match and in this tournament. She, she's so comfortable being a disruptor, isn't she, Barbora Craig Shikova? I think she, like Rabatkina after winning Wimbledon last year, has had a, a bit of a chip on her, or had a bit of a chip on her shoulder after winning the French Open about the the, the treatment that she got on on the tour and from the tennis world, sort of not really looked upon as a as a as somebody with Grand Slam champion status. She had some she's had some dodgy court assignments over the course of the last couple of years, hasn't she? And she's really really used that as fuel and I think lent in to being to not really giving two hoots about what anyone thinks about her or who's down the other end of the court she's going out there and she is doing her thing and she's totally uncowed by Iga Svantec whilst everybody else is racking up mental baggage against Svantec she's doing quite the opposite she's I imagine drawing immense confidence by the fact that she's scoring these victories over her now is it is it David that Barbora Krejcikova has figured out some kind of Iga Svantec cheat code or is it just that her game happens to match up really well her natural game happens to match up really well against Svantec's I see it about being as being about Krejcikova as a tennis player more than anything else and I, and I look at the players she beat over the course of this tournament she beat the top three in the world she beat Arena Sabalenka who who is who had been unbeaten all year and and then she's done this in the final and and the way it seems to me is you know we often define a player we describe a player we label a player as a, a power player or somebody who's got a great forehand or a great serve and maybe has a weakness here, like Coco Goff has that forehand hitch that, that often makes us think, oh, there's something to pick on. I don't really see anything like that in critique of his game. I don't see any massive weapon that is going to be concussive on its own and be the reason she wins every match. She, If somebody asked me to describe what sort of player she is, I'd say she's a really, really good tennis player, like a complete player. She's got everything but not one thing that stands out above all else I, I mean I, I watching that final back made me wonder Matt whether she's ever been in consideration for the backhand list because it is so picturesque it is so fluid that shot she's got a really big high take back and then this swish through the ball which is made more exaggerated by the the sort of very light coloured frame of the racket she uses. I remember when she won the French Open, I'd describe it as like a lightsaber and it brought back memories of the Jimmy Connors fluorescent yellow racket in the 1991 US Open run. But I just think that no matter what Sviantec's doing against her, she's able to time the ball back and put the pressure back on her. There's no panic in her ground strokes. There's no sort of anxiety or desperation to hit big early because it's Sviantec down the other end of the court she just trusts her own ball strike her own game her own foundations and all the doubles she plays and and that lovely line she said last week in in an interview I think maybe with Reem uh, about how 
she watches loads more tennis than anybody else. You know, she watches all the matches that, that are on. She's often seen courtside watching matches because she loves to watch the best players in the world play tennis. I really think that's a good sort of sign of, of somebody who, who who gets tennis who because they love it. They watch it all the time because the because it's a great sport and she and it rubs off on her in her own game. She watched the Sabalenka Rabakina final in Australia, didn't she? Wasn't she courtside for that? Yes. And we I, I we were trying so. to pick her out in the crowd, weren't we, Matt? Mm. But but failing, unable to to do so. We, we found Max Rushton from the uh, Guardian Football Weekly, where we couldn't find Barbara Krejcikova. Yeah, and um, to answer your question, David, absolutely, she is. She has been in consideration for the backhand list. I think I'm probably guilty of what Catherine was describing, and the and the sort of tennis world sort of undervaluing Barbara Krejcikova since since that French Open win. Because honestly, I do I do watch a match like this and. It does feel like she has one of the very best backhands in the world. And it's also incredibly pleasing. As I said, the way she holds it till the last minute, I find, is, is something that she can do that others can't. And I wonder whether that's something that uh, is, is, dis- is disrupting Iga Svantec a little bit. And then just in terms of, of your question, Catherine, about whether it's Krejcik of a specific or sort of has she provided a bit of a blueprint? I agree with David. I, th- I, f- I think a lot of it is Krejcik of a specific but I would say in in the three losses that Sviantek's had this year, one thing that I've really noticed is players kind of dismissing her serve, like really deep, aggressive returns. And Pagula did it, Rabatkina did it, and Krejcikova especially did it in this match. And I know Sviantek listed her, her serve as, as one of her many, many strengths when when she was asked for them in Australia, but... Personally, I do see that as as a little bit of a weakness, if there are any in her game. If if you can exploit that second serve, get on top of it, I think I think that is an area. And all three of those players who've beaten her this year have managed to do it. Much easier said than done, I'm sure. But I, I felt that was kind of a bit of a foundation for this win for Krejcikova. I've just been looking up sort of who who's been beating Krejcikova. This year, because uh, as I said, she has been she's been fit for a for a, a good streak now, hasn't she? Sort of, why have we not really talked about her much over the course of of twenty twenty three? She lost to to Kudimatova seven six in the third uh, in her opening match of uh, of last week in in Doha. So that's you know that's obviously one that could have gone could have gone either way. Lost to Pagula. In straight sets, uh, uh, that match on the John Kane Arena, wasn't it, at the Australian Open? So, yeah, I suppose, who did she lose to in Adelaide? Sorry, I'm very clearly just, uh, I've Googled Bob Orokochikov and I'm running through the Google results. Lost to Kazakina in uh, in Adelaide. So she, she's been losing to losing to good players, but I suppose building up building up form mm, and and I think even in this tournament she had to build up form like she had to save those match points against Kasakina she was she was what was it 6-1 three love down I think against Sabalenka like before mounting this incredible comeback like it was quite likely that she wasn't even in this final she had to overcome a lot of hurdles she had to build up that confidence as it went and and there was quite a funny moment where because they do the um 
the doubles trophy ceremony at the same time as the singles in in Dubai after after both finals have been completed they brought out the doubles players and both of them sat with Krejcikova and sort of Sviontek was was sort of left on her own. I suppose it, it made sense to sit with the winner. It was probably just a bit less awkward. But it did so happen that Kudamatova and Samsonova, the last two players to beat Krejcikova in singles, won the doubles and were then sitting next to Krejcikova oh, very good. on the bench. Yeah, there was there was quite a sort of funny funny moment there. Very it was good. very tennis. Samsonova had beaten her in, in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. So Shrontek just sat there on her own while Samsona Makudamatova and Krochika were just having a sort of winner's party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ceremonies are brutal in tennis for the losers, aren't they? I'd rather lose in the semi-final because you don't have to sit on the court and watch your, <laughs> watch your opponent collect their winnings. Um, I, th- I do think that is just a, an awful thing about being a runner-up not just in tennis all sorts of sports do it and we watched uh i watched newcastle have to walk up the wembley st- i mean i didn't feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for them but had i been a newcastle fan tough tough scenes at wembley yesterday watching them trudge up those steps to collect their uh their runners-up medal life is full of what-ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Saving match points 
probably leads us on nicely to Doha and the ATP 250 event there, won by Daniil Medvedev, beating Andy Murray 6-4-6-4 in the final. Second title in a row for Medvedev, who, who really seems to have, have found it. It's going to be interesting seeing him try to take that form into Indian Wells and Miami, two tournaments where he's done very little in the past. This isn't a period of the season where he's done well before. Um, but he is very good at, at doing well in new places, isn't he? I think all of his mm. titles have come in different different locations in the world. So maybe he'll never never win a title twice. <laughs> maybe that'll be his weird, quirky record. Um, and look, we will talk about Daniil Medvedev. But I think perhaps first of all, because it's been a bit of a theme of our year, which it feels like most of it on the tennis front for for me has been spent watching Andy Murray dig himself out from absurd situations. He saved match points in in just the two matches last week in Doha. He was two match points down against Lorenzo Sonego. So that's the second Italian he's beaten from match point down in 2023. And uh, a cool five match points saved against Yuri Lehechka in the semi-finals, including coming back from 5-4-40 love, three match points on the Lehechka serve in the third set. Andy Murray won five points on the bounce there to to break the Lehechka serve and come back to win and had this beaming, broad smile on his face when he did that. And Matt and I watched that match together and watched the majority of that match together. And I felt like he gave you the reaction there, Matt, that you've been wanting to see (laughs) from Andy Murray this year. Mm, Yeah, I mean, look, I know he loves it. I absolutely know he loves winning matches in, in that fashion. You know, he lives for it, I think. And I guess that's why I want him to be happy about it, because I know he lives for it. I know the sacrifices that he makes to to be able to make it possible. And yeah, it just struck me after after the Berrettini win in Australia that he didn't seem that happy about it. And I think in hindsight, he probably wanted to wrap that up in straight sets at the time. He probably knew there would be a, a kind of knock-on effect to, to not winning that match more easily. Uh, but, but in Doha, he was able to sort of back up each win after each win and and keep this run going and the more he did it the more he he seemed like he just really enjoyed it and that was that was replicated in in our reactions as well wasn't it it was it was kind of impossible to watch that and not just burst out laughing because it is kind of absurd what Andy Murray is is doing this year and i do think the next step for him is trying to win some matches more easily in straight sets. He he hasn't done so uh, since uh, Gijon last year, which was in October. He's played 14 matches since then. None of them straight sets wins. <laughs> and and I do think that would that would help him because what what this run really demonstrated is that we weren't wrong in Australia when we felt like he was playing really well. You know, his tennis is as good as it's looked in several years, I would say. Uh, he seems to be really getting that blend right between attack and defence. And he's he's going after his forehand in a way that he only does when, when Ivan Lendl is, is part of his team. And, you know, if he can just 
put it together in in two sets rather than needing needing three i think i think that will help him but yeah the the signs for andy Murray this year are are really really good and i'm 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 enjoying the the ride i suppose because that's very much what it feels like yeah, I, I said to you, didn't I, on Friday, Matt, when we were watching that match, I don't know how much Andy Murray is paying Ivan Lendl to say, hit your forehand, Andy, but I'm willing to do it for less. Whatever that figure is, I'll undercut it. Just hit your forehand. So, it, I mean, that it's seeing him hit that forehand the way he has been this year really starkly shows up how not hitting his forehand he was for for a couple of years before that i mean he, he, there really is something different about his tennis this year i think it's and as you say matt it's that blend between uh defense and attack he's still playing those trademark andy murray points you know backing himself to to hang in the rally trusting his movement i think in in a way that he hasn't for for a long time trusting himself to be able to dig out points where he looks like he's down and out but he's also taking command of points in a way that he wasn't last year and and the 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 year before that um but and possibly maybe a lot of more years on top of that it might be the best tennis he's played since since he got that metal hip I think it it very well might be the best tennis he's played since he got that metal hip but it seem it looks so simple, doesn't it? Oh, he's he's clearly putting an extra fifteen miles per hour on that forehand, and he's you know he's looking for opportunities to step into the court and to to rip it. He's not backing off it, and I really feel like I I, I could I could tell him to do that where, where required for a for yes. a low low price. I think you could too, and and but I mean I do think that that's been a trait of his three installments with Ivan Lendl um and and for for the most part of his career without Lendl that's one thing he didn't really do uh and it seems as though he regresses when he's not around isn't it that that he needs Lendl there that you I mean it's this isn't just about Andy Murray and Lendl isn't it it's about it's about coaching in general sometimes you need to hear something from a particular person's mm. voice you, you, like i mean he must know what ivan lendl's going to tell him hit your forehand yeah. Andy. It's, like, it's a psychology isn't it <laughs> it's it, there's a lot going on mentally there and because it's lendl i'm i'm sure that it's not even entirely conscious but there's a subconscious at work that he knows he just feels differently and and it clicks into gear in a in a match without him probably having to tell himself to do it because he's just got that ingrained through all the the chats and the process and knowing what Lendl thinks and it's just in there um but I think he 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 does look a player now I mean it and I actually think he's probably gonna have to take it another step further still having watched that Medvedev final back you know some of these guys are too good from the back of the court not not that many of them but you're not gonna outlast Daniel Medvedev. It, it's not a good matchup for Andy Murray at this stage, is it? Mm. Watching that, the the or well, I watched Medvedev, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Matt bobbed off to watch uh, to watch Fulham draw one all with Wolves. That was that was 
his preference for, for Friday night. But <laughs> I stuck in there with Medvedev, uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime, which was... He's got a horrible record, Felix, against uh, Daniil Medvedev. Never beaten him. I think this makes it 6-0, and which is mm-hmm. pretty catastrophic a record for for a peer with a, a similar ranking, I would say, in a, a sort of similar age group. I know Medvedev is a few years older, but I think of them in a similar-ish age group. Um, but, yeah, I, I was watching that thinking Andy Murray would have a far better chance against Felix Auger-Aliassime. That is a bad matchup at the moment yeah. for Andy Murray. Yeah, I think so. And Medvedev made a real statement, I felt, in the first game of of the final where he just extended some rallies I I think there was a stat going around last week that in his final against Sinner there were over 60 rallies longer than nine shots and I think in the very first game against Murray there were four of those and it just felt like Medvedev was locked in immediately in, in that match and yeah, generally sort of had had the better of those really long exchanges. Penis in a scribble. <laughs> I, I really hope people remember that reference. Otherwise, you've just randomly said penis in a scribble. <laughs> <laughs> As you were, Matt. Carry on. Um, and yeah, and, and that's fine. Matt. <laughs> and and honestly, I I've been I've been really pleased to also have Medvedev back. You know, as, as great as as great as having Murray, you know, do what he's doing this year is. I've I've really enjoyed Medvedev these last couple of weeks, and that was also evident in in his post match ceremony where he just. He sort of reminded everyone of what a what a great guy he is to have around. Because first of all, he trashed the balls, saying that he didn't he, he didn't like them. And I thought, yeah, great, you've you've won the tournament, and yet you're using sort of their platform to to trash their balls. Great, so in on all that. And then he made a gag about having match points against Andy Murray and and freaking out about it because he knew that uh, that Murray's record is is so good coming that, back from match points. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he just that was really great. He's just the best, Medvedev, when he's when he's sort of in in that mood. And um, I think I think we're starting to sort of see that a lot more. It's great. I'm really interested. Really interested to see if he can carry this through to to Indian Wells and Miami. Um, I think he's found the conditions in Miami challenging in the past. I'm not sure he's a guy that loves humidity. Um, mm. I feel you on that Medvedev, although he has reached finals in uh, two finals in New York and one in Australia. So I feel like you can, you might and not like Cincinnati, it, but he, he can cope with it. Yeah, Cincinnati as well. Um, and Indian Wells, I don't know, they're very unique conditions, aren't they? Mm. Um, but yeah, he's never really had this form at this this time of year before so we we watch with interest um and same goes for Andy Murray he's pulled out of Dubai this week had been down to to play um his reason is uh, an an ongoing hip problem which i think is what you can call having had a hip replacement <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, um, that 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 had the feel of uh we don't want to say the true reason that Andy Murray's pulled out, which he gave immediately after the Doha final by saying, I'm going to have to think about whether to 
play pull out of events before i get injured from now on <laughs> and then a the day later he pulls out and it's quite clear that it's just precautionary and totally understandable albeit i also understand why tournaments like dubai don't like hearing that because it doesn't make their events sound like the biggest deal in the world but to to put the ongoing hip problem when the blokes had such a massively serious hip problem throughout his his last four or five years and it nearly ending his career. I mean, I'm, I know it did make a couple of people think, oh, what else has happened now? And I don't think anything's happened. <laughs> I'm glad he's done that, but it must have been tempted just to hop on, hop on that short, plane ride and just go to Dubai and see whether you can keep it up you know must must Especially feel really good th- this tennis he's playing at the moment that must feel good you know he did he <laughs> he really did love that win over Yuri Lehechka in the semi-finals he could not stop smiling in that post-match interview there was a real check me out vibe <laughs> to it there was a real do you see what I just did there I was 40 love down on the bloke serve <laughs> do you see that I saw um, what you did. And he... You quoted Simon Briggs. <laughs> Great moment. <laughs> um, yeah, he must be very tempted. So I'm glad that he's exercising some some self restraint. And maybe that's the sort of thing that that Lendl has input into as well. But again, I could do that. I could say probably <laughs> probably just go home for the weekend. You take it easy. And actually, I suppose there is an element here with. He gave some quotes in the past, didn't he, which which suggested that when he was with Lendl before, he had overtrained or overplayed or overworked, mm. whichever it may be. And I I think we all felt at the time when he was reconnecting with Lendl, they needed to have sort of put that behind them and they needed to have worked out a schedule which works for Murray now in 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 the shape he's in and maybe this is this is a good example of of that arrangement because uh it does seem very sensible to you know not push it because he's he's got a good thing going on right now and and he needs to just protect himself definitely uh Rohan Bapana and Matt Ebden won the doubles title in uh Doha heading now to Rio (laughs) and the second biggest title of Cameron Norrie's career. He beat Carlos Alcaraz 5-7, 6-4, 7-5 in the final. The second consecutive week that those two have met in an ATP final. This one, though, was quite a different story. We were all up uh, pretty late last night watching this one with the Alcaraz-Mitavs group uh, on fire. Uh, with um, a real roller coaster of commentary, because this match was defined by the fact that Carlos Alcaraz sustained a leg injury, looked like a hamstring injury, uh, when he was seven five three love up in the match, and at that point it took on an entirely different character. And I don't know whether this makes me a total sadist weirdo, but. I loved the match from that point on. Watching Carlos Alcaraz with a heavily strapped thigh sort of really barely able to move around the court, shackled, shackled in his movement, but trying to end points in sort of four seconds or less. And Cameron Norrie trying to cope with this 
completely bizarre tennis player down the other end of the court. I I found it utterly compelling viewing. As much as I'm devastated about the f- fact that Alcaraz is injured and he'd blooming well better get himself right in the next 10 days for Indian Wells because I'm not interested in Carlos Alcaraz having to spend more time in the sidelines. Within the match, I found it fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the, the bloke pulls the trigger as soon as he possibly can at the best of times. But, you know, with in the situation he was in, that was his only option. And it was. It was just comic comedy, really, to, to, to see every rally. And to see Cameron Norrie actually having an, a very unusual sort of meltdown um, in, in parts of that third set because he suddenly is supposed to win. And there's really not much you could do about some of the points because I don't care how big your lungs are and all the rest of it that we all talk about with Cameron Norrie's ability to run forever. You'd need you'd need to be the roadrunner in order to catch up those balls that Alcaraz was hitting past him. And then the one forehand that Alcaraz hit on the run down the line, which Norrie was just absolutely convinced was out. And I think it was just total so disbelief he did you a fist can, pump yeah you cannot hit a forehand winner down the line from there it is not possible <laughs> and he was so he was calling it out and he was pumping the air as you say and then the, Carlos Bernardo has just refused to be swayed by this at all and he came down and I mean and when we saw the replay it couldn't have landed more plumb on the line it wasn't outside edge it wasn't a mark touching it was there was no mark because it hit the line flush and uh, and I'm quite sure Norrie will be slightly embarrassed about that now when he watches it back. I understand it. I mean, you, you know, you're in the heat of the battle. You're just desperate, and you, you you're trying to get over the line. And I, mean, I thought his, I thought his holding it together in the end to still win showed a lot about him, about his character. And in the post-match interview, when he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I was dealing with a lot of demons out there because I I lost to the guy last week. You know, I've. I've lost a couple of finals. If you think back to the one he lost in Auckland at the start of the year, that really hurt him when he was beating Richard Gasquet. And he he should win that, shouldn't he? And he didn't. Um, and, he, and he said, I, I also found it quite interesting that he said, and this isn't really my surface, you know, clay, which I always think is a pretty good surface for him. But he, but he, he wasn't having that. And... Um, Anyway, it meant a lot to him, and uh, and and it was great to watch. But but it was great in the micro sense, Catherine, because uh, you're right. This could be another massive blow to Carlos Alcaraz. For all we know, he could be out for weeks and months. For all we know now, and 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 the guy has got to figure out a way to keep himself out on the tour all the time, or as much as possible, because he's getting derailed a lot. And those weeks and months could be more than they would have been had he retired from the match. I mean, yeah, was, that's it was very clear that there was absolutely no way he was going to retire from that match. His appetite to play tennis at the moment is so feverish that I think he, he'd have to be knocked unconscious to, to be prepared to retire from a tennis match at the moment. And I don't know, maybe the physio told him you're not you're unlikely to do any further damage by playing, but I don't see how you can know that in that moment with what was clearly a a significant injury. He had some he immediately had very heavy strapping put on that hamstring. Um 
to and I get how hungry he is. I love it. I love to see it. A ravenous Carlos Alcaraz that looks like he's been a caged animal for, for the past five months. Brilliant, bring it on, but stay fit. You've got to be fit to play. Hmm. Please, for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I was I think I think maybe this week more than the previous week even, I I relied on waking up to highlights of Carlos Alcaraz. I didn't see so many of his matches live and it's it's a level of excitement he brings that kind of no one else can on the ATP tour in that you wake up and, oh, an incredible forehand's gone viral. And, like, no one else is really doing that. And, and he's able to sort of combine that shot-making with winning in, in just a way which is unique, I think. And it's breathtaking. And, yeah, I, I really, really do hope that that he's fit for Indian Wells. Um, on that on that issue of whether he should have retired or not, like it's obviously very difficult to say without knowing what what the injury is really. But I do think generally tennis does have a bit of a issue in terms of how it sort of frames people playing through injuries. Like it's seen as this incredible uh, show of strength and almost a badge of honor, and and I'm sure in in some occasions it is. And you know we all sort of marvelled at Novak Djokovic being able to win the Australian Open with a with a tear. But at the same time, it's also okay to retire if you are injured and to sort of protect yourself. And I think sometimes that is lost a little bit in in the sort of coverage of it, I suppose. And yeah, I just, I just always worry about that. Is this another thing that's that Roger Federer's fault? Well, I think Federer and Nadal, to be honest, because and you could say Djokovic based on that Australian Open too. But Federer, having never retired from a match in his whole career, that's the ultimate badge of honour, isn't it? Nadal playing through that injury against Taylor Fritz and then having to withdraw from the next round. I mean, and putting himself out for months. The, it's not good news, actually, and and it is it is tough, and I'm sure, in it, even in his subconscious, Alcaraz would be influenced by mm, those. Yeah, and and just on Norrie, I, I I could be wrong about this, and someone I'm sure will correct me if I am wrong, but I don't think he's been home in two months. I mean, if he he hasn't. He hasn't because he went on holiday to Costa Rica after the Australian yeah. Open. and then Colombia. Uh, then went to, to Colombia to play Davis Cup. And I'm sure that the location of that Davis Cup tie has influenced his scheduling mm. decisions since then, which, you know, seems smart to me. But this is a heck of a run he's on, right? right. And, 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 you know, he would have left before Christmas, I think, for United Cup. He then played Auckland, Australia, as you said, went to Costa Rica on holiday for a bit, and then he's played on on clay. And I just think it's it's an example of him choosing a path that we don't really see from other Brits. You know, he he, he did that even by just going to college in the states, and you know the way he's now just played this swing on 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 the clay in South America is is not something that we normally see from from British players and I think I think he's the first one I think he's the first Brit to win one of these titles and yeah I just find it really interesting how he has sort of forged his own path in that sense he is prepared to do things a little differently and it's it's worked out way better than anyone ever would have thought and he's become such a complete player I agree with you David I feel like Clay 
kind of should be a good surface for him. It's certainly the surface that I first saw him on in in that Davis Cup tie against uh, Bautista Agu and but now he's you know he's won Indian Wells on on a hard court. His best slam result was was Wimbledon on grass. He's he's such a complete player now and I think it's not a it's not an accident. You know, he's worked to become that and I just uh, you know, we say it all the time, but we're we're sort of filled with respect and admiration for what for what Cameron Norrie's doing, and I, and I think in his mind this will be a really big deal for him. Even though Alcaraz did pick up that injury, it's still a win over Carlos Alcaraz in a final, and you know he needed that. I think, and um, yeah, it could it could sort of propel him even further. A lot of players would have lost that match against mm. Carlos Alcaraz for sure. A lot of good players would have lost that match. In the mix for a second Indian Wells title, Cam Norrie, David? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think... Especially with no Djokovic. Pretty much in the mix for for, for everything. Cause I, don't, I don't know whether I'd put him in the mix at Wimbledon, um, although he reached the semi-finals, didn't he? I, I, but I'd put him in the mix for most things now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Andres Molteni and Maximo Gonzalez won the doubles title in Rio. In Marseille, Hubert Hercatch was the singles champion, beat Benjamin Bonzi 6-3-7-6 in the final. And Edouard Roger Vasselin and Santiago Gonzalez won the doubles. And Matt has very kindly put in the agenda, combined age of 79. Hmm. That was how I know that uh, Mau was still playing because he was also on that court, and I think he's—I think he's over forty now. And he and his partner he had is, a combined yeah. age of seventy-six. It was a—it was a very old doubles final. <laughs> uh, the WTA event in Merida. Uh, Camilla Georgie came back from a breakdown in the decider to be qualified. Rebecca Peterson, 7-6-1-6-6-2 in the final. That's her first title since uh, that incredible run she had to win the Montreal title in 2021. And the partnership of Katie McNally and Diane Parry won the doubles. Uh, didn't see any of that. Wish I had seen some of that. Love that yeah, partnership. Me too. I was just thinking that. Yeah, what a what a fascinating partnership yeah I, I, want, I don't know if that's just a, a one week thing um, but they won the title so even if it was supposed to be a one week thing maybe they'll extend it and give us the chance to to watch them play at future tournaments in terms of what is happening this week uh, Dubai hosts the ATP Novak Djokovic returns to action there he and Rublev are the top two seeds with Medvedev third Medvedev's playing a lot isn't he it's a lot of tennis, um, and he didn't really have an off season because he played all those exhibitions. Be interesting to see if he uh, if he runs out of gas. A gas, as we say, Andy Murray withdrawn as a precaution. First round highlights: Algeria Seam against Maxime Cressy. Dan Evans against Borna Choric. Like the look of both those two matches. Uh, we've also got the ATP in Acapulco. Stefanos Tsitsipas has withdrawn with a shoulder injury uh, that he said he's been struggling with since the Australian Open. That's a little bit of a worry, isn't it, for, for Stefanos Tsitsipas? Carlos Alcaraz is down to play. Seems unlikely. Kind of hope he doesn't. Uh, 
But as it stands, as we record, he is in the draw. And Casper Rude uh, is the, the other top seed there. You've got Runa against Ben Shelton. Francis Tiafo against Yoshihita Nishioka. Fritz is in action there. He's got Isner first round. And Shapovalov against Ketsmanovic. And um, footnote to what's going on in Acapulco. Matteo Berrettini playing there unseeded. Really? Goodness. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. And the other Berrettini note is that his brother has qualified. <sighs> All these riffraff brothers <laughs> knocking around. <laughs> he got a, a qualifying wild card, I guess, because his brother is Matteo Berrettini, and uh, he made good on it, and he's he's into the he's into the draw to play Oscar Otter. Right, and and I must say, what's his first go. name? Uh, Jacopo. Okay, I want to see Jacopo Berrettini against Petros Tsitsipas. <laughs> that I would watch. <laughs> there was there was a funny video going around that um, the uh, Acapulco Instagram put up of Jacopo playing and. Someone on someone on Twitter pointed out that uh, maybe the no backhand gene runs in the family because in this rally he <laughs> he he sort of scrambles one back, then he overruns it and sort of sort of pats the ball back on another one, and then on the next one he overruns it again and has to switch and hit a left-handed forehand rather than hitting a backhand. It's it's a very amusing little sort of ten-second snapshot of his game. But oh, Jacopo sounds like a fun time. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Is he the hardest working guy in tennis, though? Because no, he's not. That that honor has already been taken. Petros uh, has got by that Petros Tsitsipas. Uh, the ATP is also in Santiago this week. Lorenzo Mazzetti and Francisco Sorundolo, the top two seeds. Dominic Team against Christian Garin is a round one match. Uh, and the WTA is also in Austin and Monterey. Magdalena and Zhang Shui are the top two seeds in Austin. Emirati Khanu's had to withdraw with tonsillitis. Such a shame because I was so pleased to see her entering that tournament. I, I think that would have been a really good opportunity for her to to get a decent draw, hopefully win a couple of matches, get something going. Um, that's just really bad luck for her. Alicia Parks back in action in Austin, Danielle Collins could do with a win, couldn't she? Katie McNally, Elizabeth Mandelik and Sloane Stevens against Taylor Townsend. A round one match there. And in Monterey, Caroline Garcia and Marie Buzkova are the top two seeds. And David has picked Donna Vekic to win the title. Going to keep picking her until she does. <laughs> Pam is there. <laughs> She's your Paula Badosa. <laughs> Pam's there. Yeah. Yay. Hey. <laughs> Uh, go Pam. Uh, and as we mentioned last week, just confirmation that Novak Djokovic now has a total of 378 weeks at world number one and counting. Uh, that means he has officially now overtaken Steffi Graf on uh, 377 weeks. We talked about it a bit last week. It is an incredible record and uh, it's one that's still going. Who knows how many weeks he will end up racking up. It's uh, incre incredible and congratulations to him.
We have our mascot for this episode. I'm looking at him right now. His name is Crossley. He's owned by Catherine. Uh, same church, different pew. No, different church. Catherine with a K. Anyway, Surely all Catherines uh, are in the same Kit. church. <laughs> Can't have multiple yeah, churches. Same church, different side of the aisle. <laughs> anyway, Kit Wolverton. <laughs> Uh, but Crossley was brought to us and submitted by Amy Suskind. Amy says, submitting this in honour of my childhood friend Kit, who lives in Arlington, Virginia. She, along with her twin, are responsible for my tennis addiction when inviting me to join them as a ball kid at the Cincinnati tournament in the late 80s and early 90s. Kit and, I, Kit and I have had many tennis adventures together, including our semester abroad, where Kit came up from Paris to queue overnight with me for Wimbledon. My favourite, though, was Kit having a massive crush on one of the older ball boys, Brad. Uh, are all crushes called Brad? I think they might be. Uh, <laughs> who thought of Kit as a little sister. That is uh, unfortunate. Um, something that annoyed her to no end. Very relatable, Kit. Years later, they run into each other in Washington, D.C. Oh, my goodness. What <laughs> This is... Wow. Years later, they run into each other in Washington, D.C. and have now been married for over 15 years. Oh, I'm going to do a little cry. Their son, Nick Mason, was named after where they first met. Someone make a movie mm. out of that. <laughs> that was amazing. I'm so grateful to Kit for introducing me to this crazy and wonderful tennis world. Oh, I love that. And I love Crossley. Crossley looks to me like a possibly a labradoodle. Um, I definitely think there's some doodle in there. Uh, it's difficult to get a sense of scale from the photo. It is it's got like a Mansour Barami moustache. <laughs> Big moustache, but that could just be the haircut, David. Billie oh. Jean could have a big moustache if I styled her really? as such. Oh, please Anyway, do. there'll be <laughs> there'll be a picture <laughs> of Crossley in our newsletter. So if you would like to submit your um, suggestions of what breed he might be, then please do let us know. And um, thank you, Amy, for that wonderful, wonderful story that has warmed my cockles. Uh, much loveliness. So thank you for that. We have... Our mascots, David has Maisie, I've got Xenia and Matt has Darwin. Billie Jean, who has been asleep on my laptop throughout this recording, which is a very sort of early days tennis podcast recording energy, isn't it? It's very, as Matt said, it's very US Open David 2016 <laughs> vibes, falling asleep on the keyboard. Um, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Dana Douglas in Allendale, New Jersey. Oh, hello. Great name. Don't know any tennis great player name, of that. Great location. <laughs> is Allendale, New Jersey where... Bruce Springsteen's concerts during the US Open are? No. Not that we're looking that far ahead, so. really. I think Allendale's quite small. No, okay. Okay. Well, there's somewhere in New Jersey that I hadn't heard of. Is it New Rutherford? Anyway, Rutherford? thanks for being a friend. <laughs> Rutherford, right. Mm. Like Greg Rutherford. <laughs> yeah. 
a long jump. <laughs> and I'm afraid we're going to have to keep talking about New Jersey and come up with new things to say. Uh, we've got Noreen Riley in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Oh. Hello, Noreen. I think right, Noreen. Noreen is our first ever Noreen shout out. I think so. I don't so. think we've had a Noreen before. I love it when we get a new name. And yeah. Sadly, I don't know any <laughs> tennis player Noreen's either. So, Noreen, you are a true one-off. Noreen, thank you. Dana as well. I feel like I didn't do you justice there. I ended up talking about Greg Rutherford. Thank you to you both. <laughs> and finally, we've got Kate Fisher-Burrell, who is originally from New Mexico, but now lives just outside Frankfurt in Germany. Ooh. Oh, my brother spent a year living in New Mexico. I'm the only member of my family that has never been to New Mexico. There you go. Fun fact. Sort that out. Kate, mm-hmm. thanks, thanks a lot for being a I've friend. I've been to Frankfurt Airport. Yeah, me too. You'll be there next week, won't you, David? I'm going to Frankfurt Airport next Monday. F- yes. Fra- Frankfurt used to host the ATP finals. Mm. Um, back mm. in the early 90s. It, in fact, it was where the the Masters, as it was known, moved from New York to Germany to take advantage of the Boris Becker days. And, uh, and it was brilliant, an amazing atmosphere. Thank you, Kate, for giving David an opportunity <laughs> to talk about the 90s. And, and Kate has a fun fact. She says, I have something in common with Roger Federer. I have two sets of twins. <gasps> wow! So cool. It, you, Roger Federer, and Nicholas Pfeiffer. Oh, really? Oh, yes. And didn't and... know that. No, I thought I had another example, but I can't remember. <laughs> I am. I'm just. No, it's it's Federer's Federer's sister also has twins, right? But not two sets. I think that's I think that's correct. Is that right? think so gosh that is a lot of twins isn't it um lovely excellent great shout outs (laughs) thank you kate uh we'll be back with another tennis podcast we'll be recording on sunday of this week because uh whilst the from the airport lounge recording was successful last time around sort of front of house successful behind the scenes it led to quite a stressful boarding situation for me and Matt so this time we're gonna we're gonna play it safe and record on Sunday right before we head to Indian Wells for the first time as a team courtesy of On Location the experience the uh, premium hospitality and experience provider one week and counting folks we'll speak to you soon Oh, I've got it wrong. I've got it wrong. It's Stefan Uday with the two sets of twins. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 